Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Ryan Bennett, Nazi Canuck, living in the Central Coast, Australia. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to Flushing Meadows and the penultimate day of the US Open where you find myself, Catherine Rittigan, Matt Roberts, David Law in the media garden. Thank you to Ryan Bennett there that you heard in the intro. Ryan from Australia, he says he's been an avid listener for several years and a returning friend. He wants to sincerely thank the three of us for doing a great job and he always looks forward to the next episode without fail. Keep loving New York, he says. And Ryan... We absolutely are loving New York because tonight has been such an incredibly special night here, hasn't it, David? Yeah, it has, uh, and it really moved me in a lot of different ways, really, because I I felt as though either way this story went, it would have meaning for the sport and it was going to be really emotional for the winner and the, the player defeated, and for the crowd, there was total buy-in from everybody here and eyeballs all over the world, all over this country. I know there's a lot of other sports that, that the US Open competes with at the moment because college football came on straight after the, the final and, and, and that was a big game and the NFL's just starting and all these other things. But it really does feel like this is a story that has cut through. It feels like Coca Goff is recognised around this country anyway and now to have won this title and to have won it the way she did it all the way through coming from behind in these matches and to do so again today it almost feels like that's her trademark now that it's very recognizable what a what a fighter she is and and the way she just dug that out after a really tough first set it was great and the atmosphere was electric 2-6, 6-3, 6-2 for Coco Golf over the woman that will be world number one come Monday, Arena Sabalenka. Not, not the highest quality tennis match you will ever see, no. but for drama and for storylines and for quotes and for moments, it was kind of everything, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. It was an extremely compelling and stirring match, I think. Uh, the Arthur Ashe Stadium was, I think, the loudest it's been all tournament. Certainly the loudest I've experienced this tournament. Uh, and just a, a match which I think told you a lot about how hard it is to win Grand Slam finals. I mean, Irina Sabalenka has already won a Grand Slam final. And I think I've been expecting that maybe she would use that experience and be able to play like that again but you know Arena Sabalenka in big matches since then has has not been peak Arena Sabalenka and I think that just tells you how hard it is to win these matches and full credit to Coco Goff for kind of forcing that version of Arena Sabalenka to come out because after that first set I was kind of thinking what what can Goff do here other than slightly tidy up her own game, what can she do other than, you know, rely on Arena Sabalenka starting to miss? Because it was in Sabalenka's control that first set. And the, maybe the moment of the Grand Slam final, and particularly Coco Goff and her defence, brought out the errors from Arena Sabalenka. And I thought it was just incredible to witness Coco Goff at 19 with all the pressure and expectation on her in New York be able to be the more poised, calm, better player out there as that match went on. I've got to give an assist to my mum here in a, a text that she sent me mid-match, but <laughs> because it 
it, it made me realise something about what I was seeing. It reminded me of an Andy Murray match. You're watching it going, it, it doesn't look right that you're winning these points, that you're winning these games, that you're winning this match. Like, <laughs> you, you've got no right to be doing that against somebody who just is the better ball striker certainly tonight was the better ball striker and you're thinking okay you've just won one unbelievable scrambling point but you can't do that for a whole match like that's just not this doesn't add up and yet there she is doing it point after point after point from the second set onwards and there were there were things about her speech as well that reminded me of Andy Murray but that is what it looked like to me today where you're like how is this working you're you're defying things about that I think I know about the sport it was look I I never want to give too much credit to coaches particularly when it's male coaches behind a female player but she won ugly tonight didn't she yeah she she did and uh she didn't like doing it that way it was really great that she was honest about that in a press conference I don't want to win my grand slams like that I don't want to win I don't want to have to play like that in order to do it I want to be the one hitting the winners and taking people on And but she knew that the, the, the heavier firepower was coming down from the other end and it was going to be her defence her movement that that could be the difference maker and, and, her, and her tenacity and that's those are great comparisons with Andy Murray I absolutely see that she she just wouldn't let it go and that's when when I said that it's become a trademark I think right back to the French Open when she lost that first set to Mira Andreva in a 7-6 tiebreak and she's just getting outplayed really by somebody with this prodigious talent and yet she believed that she'd actually got the upper hand at the set down and that there's, there's clearly such a well of belief um, and I know that it is we, we've we've touched on how she can tr- she copes with in the conditions that we were all suffering and all the players were suffering I mean when she said in a press conference oh th- this didn't affect me at all this weather this last few days she, it was hard to, to actually believe you're hearing this and yet totally believe her she's, she's trained in South Florida for all these years that this is what, what she's used to and she's just hard, become hardened to it and what a competitor what a champion she is I mean brilliant to watch that was it made me think of something that Mary Carrillo told us a while back about Coco Goff which is that she used to dominate the juniors because she was just such a better athlete than everybody else and she could just rely on that not like other areas not like the ball striking is bad or anything but it didn't need to be the best in the game because the athleticism was just head and shoulders above anybody else and she's been able to bring that to bear again this summer I know we've been joking about Brad Gilbert shouting make it physical make it physical but what he's saying is this is what you have on everybody else I don't care who's down the other end of the the court and what they're throwing at you you have that make that the determining factor of this match and she did today I felt like she you know I was watching the opening stages that match fearing awkwardness because I was like how does Coco Goff make win points unless Sabalenka coughs up an error and I felt like she thought the same and went okay well I got to make Irina Sabalenka cough up errors then and Sabalenka played a good first set but there were errors there there were some quite loose errors particularly from the from short short balls she was really struggling on those and I felt like whether consciously or subconsciously Coco Goff did some some math and said like okay she's missing one in every six ground strokes so if I just make her play two or three more every point she's going to miss more Mm. and that's that's going to be the difference not sure I've ever seen movement like hers Uh, we've seen some incredible athletes Steffi Graf was just an astonishing athlete but that was speed this is speed and flexibility and anticipation I'm just not sure I've seen anything quite like what she's got yeah pretty much all the high quality gasp inducing moments of this match was something to do with Coco Goff getting a ball back that no one else would get back yeah and just retrieving from the baseline relentlessly and I think if we 
if we look at the match, I I really think a big moment was the very first game of the second set. And I said I did say this at the time. I was going to actually just interject and say that, Matt, so that you didn't have to. But you thought I'd just but make I've, sure. But, but I've sounded like he's a had dick. such a rough fortnight <laughs> that he needed to get that out there. Come on then. Um, he what did lean over and go bookmark that game. Okay. Because I, I like that. two of Goff's first three serves in that second set were double faults, and she had tailed off at the be- at the end of that first set. She was vulnerable, I think, in that moment. And Goff did. Um, Sabalenka did not take advantage in that game she had 15-40 and then missed three of her next four returns Sabalenka and that that let Goff through the game I thought that was a big moment at the time another big moment was the game where Goff broke in that second set she she hit an incredible backhand passing shot and that turned it that got the crowd up that got the crowd with her that was the first moment where I thought okay Goff's no longer just defending in these rallies she's actually either defending well enough to extract an error out of Sabalenka or on occasion she's turning defence into attack. She started to do that a lot more as the match went on and she started to change the way she was serving. She was really struggling to hold serve in that first set. Even though her percentage was good, the serves weren't having an impact and she started to serve bigger, I think, in that second set and just get more free points with the serve and you know, that's a, that's a Billie Jean King champions adjust line moment really isn't it and I think her her whole approach to this tournament has been as she said she doesn't want to necessarily play like this but she realised that it was the best way of getting her to win this match and it absolutely was the the central question of this it was can Goff's defence extract enough errors from the Sabalenka attack and in the first set that wasn't happening but Sabalenka's attack went from needing to be decent to needing to be really, really good because of how well Goff got used to it. I was thinking of the line you heard in commentary the other day, David, about taking a set to adjust to pace. I think there was a little bit of that as well with Goff. Seemed to get used to the Sabalenka ball a bit more. It was just an incredibly, incredibly impressive adjustment, all match from Goff, particularly, you know, as we always say best of three sets it can get away from you quickly and she didn't she didn't let that happen it was just so impressive David you were in Irina Sabalenka's press conference and a recurring theme of it is the phrase it was me against me yeah she she thought that match was on her racket and she let it go do you agree I the thing is I don't know where one starts and one begins because I think that Goff did what she needed to do to cause that. Now, you might say, well, if Sabalenka was good enough, she'd have just hit through it anyway and she wouldn't have wouldn't have allowed that. And I just think that that's a bit like when we were watching Carlos Alcaraz last night and you're, you know they can reach that level, but can you reach it and sustain it and do it all the time? Like maybe Ben Shelton's a better example because I think Alcaraz actually can. Ben Shelton has his, had his moment against Djokovic and he was awesome. You know, and, and he, he can hit through this incredible retrieving and, and, and so forth. But can you do it long enough? And Sabalenka did it for a set. And yes, she did start missing. But was that because she was poor or was that because Goff was putting her in horrible positions time after time? It's probably both, isn't it? I, I, I just feel like I think she also had a really nice way of... She gave credit to Goff in that press conference. She wasn't just saying that slightly mean-spirited thing of well it was only be- she only won because of me it wasn't like that but she did keep coming back to that I think she is going to suffer the next few days thinking about this match because she's got such an appetite she so much wanted to underline her status as the new world number one with a Grand Slam title but she did also say that that will cushion the blow a little the fact that she is world number one she will lean, lean on that a little bit um, look, I, the one thing I would say, and I'm curious to know what you two think about this, having watched the match, is there was no adjustment from her at all. And the same was going on against Madison Keys. Now, she lost a six-love set, and she just keeps on hitting. That's what she does. And eventually, against Keys, it clicked. And look, that can work. That is, that is her way of doing it. I just think she's a good enough tennis player with good enough racket skills to do something else when she's missing 
and she doesn't even try and I feel like that is somewhere that she needs to go back and and adjust yeah I completely agree I think uh, there's there's not a plan B and she's good enough to be able to have a plan B like yes it's not going to be as good as plan A which is blasting winners but take a leaf out of Goff's book right exactly and she's she's a great athlete Sabalenka you know I think she could use that athleticism in defence more than in attack you know obviously her, her her main tactic is to use use what she's got aggressively but I, I feel like she could maybe use it defensively a bit as well and honestly I think we've probably said the same after every Sabalenka loss at Slams this year. She's got an incredible record in the majors this year, 23-3. and three. You know, that's outstanding, and she's won one, obviously. But all three of those losses, she, was, she had match point on Mukova, and it ran away from her. She was a set and a break-up on Onshabur at Wimbledon, and it ran away from her. She was a set-up today, and it ran away from her. There's always... It's always the same, and that's... a kind of tough tough thing to reconcile with the fact that she was so good in Australia but maybe I suppose that is the difference like in Australia she was playing well and was able to keep it going here when she starts going off she can't she can't bring it back in the really big matches I think she's got better at bringing it back this year because of all the consistency six of first set she brought it back yeah but I do think that Madison Keys, like matchup wise, that was it was just so different. It was it's a, it easier was against a hitting hitters. Uh, yeah. I think the same thing with Rebecca. She could still go toe to toe. She hadn't played. I mean, there's no one who can defend like Goff. But as I said yesterday, she played a lot of hitters in this tournament, and I think she's more comfortable in that matchup. Jabur's not a hitter. Mukova's not a hitter. They they can disrupt her a bit. Goff disrupted her with the movement, and yeah, there, there needs to be more of an adjustment, I think, from Sabalenka. I wanted to see more resistance from her in that third set. I, I, I just... It, it felt like she was lacking in fight a little bit. There was a resignation about her body language. Now, we were we were quite high up in our seats and we didn't have a monitor or anything, so I could be reading that wrong, but it kind of felt like, oh, none of it's going in. I've got nothing else. Blah. Yeah. She, and, you know, she played she played the... She had a medical timeout, didn't she? I, I, I don't know how tactical that was. She certainly said in press it was nothing major. She said I was tight and that made my hamstring feel tight. I, I'm not saying there was nothing going on, but that wasn't, felt a wasn't little. Great. It felt like a card to play. To yeah, be honest, I thought that was that was the. And I can't know, but it, it felt like the last. If throw that's of the, guys. the only card that you're playing in that situation yeah. I, don't, I don't know it and, felt and it, well, she was doing that and, the, and, the, and the, the tactics never changed she was just smacking away I mean it's a question I wish I'd asked it then I'm definitely going to ask her the next time I'm in a press conference with her is have you thought about how, do you have a conversation with your coach about what happens if I start missing is, is there supposed to be a plan B that you don't employ or do you just never think about that I mean it's such a fine line, isn't it, for athletes? Because they're all—they're all about. I'm just going to focus on myself, and if I play my game, I've got—I have to believe in myself. And I get why that has to be true for the sake of your confidence and self-belief, and to help you ride out rough patches. But tennis is about matchups. It, 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 a lot of the time, it's about what's coming at you from the other end of the court. And Coco Goff. Look, Matt said it, Billie Jean King said it first, champions adjust. Sometimes just focusing on yourself and what's going on there isn't enough. You need to adapt to the situation and, and what's coming at you. And she's, she's still really young. Yeah. And as, exactly as we're saying, she's good enough to add this stuff to I'm not her sure game. I've ever seen her try any, any match. And we've seen her for, I mean, I know she is young, but we've seen her for five years now. Mm. So it's quite interesting. I mean, look, and when her game is on, it's, a, it's so awesome so I can kind of maybe understand why she thinks well if I just get it back I'm going to knock her off the court again but I, I just think it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself if you're in control of every point you know what I mean like because if you're suddenly starting to feel tight and your only play is to swing and swing and therefore you're more likely to miss I think it would almost relieve some of the pressure if like 
she sort of let the other person dictate for a moment. Just and the, the thing is, she's not a bad mover for her side. No. Like, she's not Coco Golf. She never will be. She is not a bad mover, though. We're not talking about, all due respect, Petra Kvitova here, like a big hitter that just needs to swing because, like, she can scramble a bit and retrieve. And Good hands. It's not plan A, but it, she's, well, wasn't she world doubles number one? Certainly yeah. part of the world number one team in doubles there's definitely more that could be added to her game even if not technically there just almost philosophically as a tennis player just to accept that set of circumstances and and employ something else Mm. the the noise inside that stadium and i know we've had a few messages on instagram about what people think was disrespectful cheering of Arena Sabalenka's errors she was pretty dismissive of that impressed she said that wasn't really a factor of her tonight she was prepared for it um, and thought it was justified really I, I thought it was mostly fine yeah but it must be really hard when when oh, you're hitting balls in the net unbelievable and that noise is being made like I totally get why they're making that noise I don't, I don't think I don't is think... It, is this the clapping after a fault, or is this the make an error and the crowd erupt noise? That one. That one, The, the yeah. one where she's lost a point, meaning Goff's won a point, yeah. meaning... Yeah! yeah. I also think an element of it was that Goff was behind for so much yeah. of that match. She was the underdog. It's like what we were saying about the dynamic between Shelton and Tiafo. Like, it, it, if you're doing that for the underdog... It's not. It, it's not bullying, is it? If Goff were, if Goff were six love, two love up, and they're cheering Arena Sabalenka's mistakes, that feels like bullying. Feel but harsh, just it? sort of giving her any help you possibly can when she's in a desperate situation, it just feels a bit different to me. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I have massive sympathy with Arena Sabalenka and anyone in in that situation. Mm. But but yeah, I mean Sabalenka errors are a totally legitimate way for Coco Goff to win a point. And therefore, I think, a legitimate thing for a Coco Goff fan mm. to cheer. I, I didn't. It, but it's I, tough I, for Sabalenka. I, I didn't feel like it overstepped. I thought it was... I probably is the loudest that I've seen since... Well, since last year when Serena was having her final Well, how run did that here, noise you know? compared to Serena? Because I, I wasn't in the stadium for... I, I got to watch a little bit of the Contivate match from in the stadium... Did get to experience it, but not much, not like you two did. And the roof was on tonight, so it was just a total hot, hot house of the atmosphere. And that was the loudest I've experienced inside. It felt there. massive to me. It was massive, <laughs> but there would be recency bias to say it was louder than last year. Wow. It was extraordinary last year for Serena. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. Yeah. 22 more, Coco. <laughs> Start <laughs> and a, now. And actually, you know, I mean, I know you're coming to talk about the press conference, Catherine, but the journey she's been on has been incredible, hasn't it? When you talk about 22 and, and the, when she started as a, as a 15-year-old, I didn't know so much was going on there with her, you know? Yeah, I can't believe how much we're going to end up talking about the journey that a 19-year-old has gone on <laughs> yeah. to become... A Grand Slam champion. It's it's quite ridiculous. I mean, it was a fascinating press conference. Absolutely fascinating. She gave us real insight into what's been going on with her recently. She soft launched a boyfriend. I don't yes. know if anybody else noticed that. I did. Still reeling. Good for her. Nobody <laughs> nobody seems to know about like, it. Did we know that? I didn't. And then I was like, I definitely didn't. And I feel like that. that answers the question of who she called when she was sat on the, I think, on actually, the chair I think and they were said, doing the setting up the stage, which, P.S., takes too long in tennis. <laughs> I think she did say that she called one of her brothers. She did, but she said he didn't answer till the last minute. Oh, OK. <laughs> anyway, she definitely soft-launched a boyfriend in that press conference. Probably quite a good way to do it, you know. <laughs> bury, the, bury that news but, slightly but under the title. gave us this incredible insight into yeah. how... It wasn't woe is me stuff, but how tough it's been mentally for her being a teen phenom, which of course makes total sense. It was 
kind of absurd what happened to her four years ago. People predicting off the back of one Grand Slam run that she was going to be the greatest player of all time. I mean, that was happening for real four years ago. But she she's so mature and grounded and eloquent that it always felt like she wore it incredibly lightly. That it was all under control. Yeah. But what she actually explained to us when, when you asked about it was that she said she thought I had a time limit on when I should win. And when I didn't win aged 17, people there was a graphic that went up and said Serena's Serena did that, so she's missed that now. She hasn't achieved what Serena... I mean, what a thing to, to have to carry around in your head. I mean, some people that might not bother, but she made it very clear, although she wasn't letting us in on that at the time and I think how can you how can you really articulate that when it's going on but in hindsight really really bothered her and and it wasn't the only thing you know there there was there was a lot going on for her and um she said in her ESPN interview I thought she said it on court at first but I've I've remembered since that she said it in this ESPN interview she was sat next to Pam Shriver and and their team on the on the desk there, she said, when I, when I lost that French Open final, I thought the world was going to end, you know, and, and, it's, and that's what I kind of asked her about is when did that stop? Because she, she was talking about how now she came into this final and she very clearly had the view that I really, really want to win, but if I don't, that doesn't mean I'm a failure. My mum and dad still love me just the same and it's okay. You know, and I think that that's freed her up. And I mean, I guess maybe she's had some psych- psychological help to, to help her come to that realization. I know her, she talks very gratefully about her parents having made it very clear to her that she's loved regardless. And you could see that throughout this tournament. Yes, she wanted to win, yes, there was pressure but she wasn't carrying it in quite the same way as she describes how she felt before. And obviously it helps that she's improved as a tennis player, that she's figured some stuff out the last few weeks, but I'm just really happy for her as a person that she, she's got to that mindset. She said some pretty sucker-punch stuff about how during the ceremony at last year's French Open, when Iga Shontek was collecting the trophy, she made herself sit there and watch... Iga Shiontek lift that trophy and imagine what it would feel like. She made herself sit in her feelings. What must have been, well, what she told us tonight were were pretty ghastly feelings in that moment, which you know, I think there's I think there's a lot, well, I mean, there's a lot of people out there. Life's hard, I get it, but there's certainly a lot of tennis players out there that aren't really feeling their feelings, aren't, you know, feelings in a box. Let's, you know, because it's brutal it's brutal out there um and it's too much to deal with but she's she's letting it all in um and becoming a grand slam champion anyway it's it's incredible and then she talked again about experiencing something similar at Wimbledon this year when she lost in the first round she talked she was asked about she was asked about that footage which has been doing the rounds over the last couple of days of her as an eight-year-old coming here on Kids Day. Great advert for a Kids Day. I, well, I was going <laughs> to... I'm glad like... you said that because I was debating whether or not to get on my Kids horse, kids Day high horse, but, like, Kids Days matter, folks. Yeah. Everyone should be doing a Kids Day and that's the, that's the end of it, you know, yeah, to see her dancing and enjoying it and having fun, oh. regardless of whether what the tennis is, she's having fun and then realizing. Coco Goff is telling you, I saw that that could be me, yeah, and that's why I'm here today. She told us that in plain words. That's that's the end of it. Everyone needs to be doing kids' days. Um, but yeah, she was asked about that that footage of her here when she was eight years old, and she was asked when she first dreamed of becoming a Grand Slam champion herself and she talked about that and she said yeah it probably was when I came here and I started to dream and I've I've always been a dreamer but there have been times recently where that dream died it was really powerful stuff and 
I hadn't had my hand up for a question at the start of the press conference, but off the back of that, I did just put my hand up, and I was lucky to, to get a question because there was quite a queue. Um, and I said, I just want to follow up on that. What, If you can, what were those moments that the dream died or faded? And she said, Wimbledon this year. That was two months ago, guys. Two months ago that she lost in the first round to Sophia Cannon and did not play badly. Like, that was a great match. There were errors in there, but... Sophia Cannon played played brilliantly and I thought it was a tough matchup for Coco Goff. You know, she's playing a qualifier who had matches under their under their belts. Like it it could so easily have been a defeat that she chalked up to tough draw, tough opponent, these things happen, move on, stay on the treadmill. Next week's another week. But she managed to kind of not ca- catastrophize it, but also Use it as fuel to do something different and reboot and overhaul. Totally overhaul, exactly, and learn how to win ugly and not be a perfectionist. And yeah, it was absolutely fascinating, wasn't it? And she she gave credit to her dad both for the as the person who continues to give her scouting reports and opponents, but who whose idea she said it was to hire Brad Gilbert and when you consider her dad and her mum that they were ever present in her box they were always there and a big part of her, her coaching as well as obviously being her parents huge moment isn't it when you when they take a step back and they put her in the hands of somebody else and let's be honest that's now three US Open champions that he has been involved with only months after starting to work with them. That can't be a coincidence. That's 30 years span. 1994 for Andre Agassi, 2003 for Andy Roddick, 2023 for Coco Golf. And it's it's no more than six months within with any of them before that happened. Um, but it was... I did love how she... She went bolting up to her dad, and they were in tears before they even hugged the two of them. It was such a, a touching moment, and she said she'd never seen her dad cry in, in her whole life before, um, and uh, and that was that was lovely, really. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, the one other thing about the press conference that she said that I that it was a little insight into somebody I don't know. I don't know Coca Golf. She says I'm really argumentative. She says, "I, I go on, I go and look at the comments, and I was looking at the comments last night." That was the well, uh, that was the other. This Andy was Murray the other Andy Murray comparison. She yeah. went into, she did this on the court and in the press conference because she said, "Did she dedicate the win to she people not, that hadn't believed in her?" I'd like to thank all I'd the like people that didn't believe them. in yeah. me. She said, uh, "She said you, you thought you were uh, pouring water on my fire, but actually you were putting gas on it." And like fantastic, good for her. But it was she. She went. She was it in the press or was it on uh, on the court where she went into detail. She was like, when I won, when I won Washington, everyone was like, oh, but it's a five hundred. That's her limit. And then when I won Cincinnati, they were like, oh, but it's a one thousand. That's her limit. Now here I am with the Grand Slam title. And like as I say, good luck to her. She's obviously an Andy Murray type character that has a massive streak of defiance in her and is able to use things like that for fuel but fact check I'm not sure people were saying that <laughs> certainly not after Cincinnati like maybe at points in the last few years but I feel like most of the world was picking Coco Goff to win this title after she won yeah, Washington I mean, and Cincinnati she's and found a few comments on social media I think generally and sounds like she's gone looking for them yeah <laughs> I mean which Brad Gilbert used to... It's like to Andy Murray and is the doctor that yeah. told him he'd never walk again or yeah. whatever it was. Brad you know, Gilbert he's... worked with Andy Murray in 2006. And I remember he, I did an interview with him and he said, look, Andy Murray is a natural contrarian. If you say one thing, he's going to say the other. And I mean, so there's the comparison again. And I dare say if you go back, I think probably Agassi and Roddick were similar as well. And I think that... You know, I don't know how long it'll last with Gilbert, but God, he doesn't half get something out of these people. All I can say, Coco, if is if you're a newsletter subscriber and you saw I had Sabalenka in three, you are welcome. <laughs> I put a fire in you. She did say, she did point it she looked around the room and she said, I, I know all your Twitter handles. <laughs> <laughs> Matt was like, not I'm not, not gonna get again. called out again. <laughs> 
It was a, it was a tough scene for Elon Musk that press conference, wasn't it? She repeatedly referenced Twitter and not X. <laughs> Go on, Coco. It's not happening, Elon. The youth aren't aren't adopting it. Um, wow, you know where I'm going next, don't you? I think so. What does it mean? What does it mean? I knew it. <laughs> well, it means. It means, first of all, we've got a really, really exciting Grand Slam champion who... Look, I'll say I doubted whether she would do this, whether she would ever do this a few months ago. She can have me as one of the people she's, she's proven wrong. Um, and I didn't think for sure she won't because she's so young, she's so athletic. And I, I kind of think in the back of my mind I thought she's so dedicated and such a good athlete... I think she'll probably end up figuring it out. But right in front of my eyes, I don't see how it happens. Something, something will have to change because she, she looks way off. You know, when you consider the, th- the big three as we, we've talked about in Sviantec, Rebekkan and, and uh, Savalenka, that she just didn't look anywhere near that and with, a, with this liability of her forehand in particular. Um, but what does it mean for the future? Well... She is not going to be going on a victory lap that's going to last very long. I'm sure they'll they'll make the most of it. The, she has Tony Godsick as an agent. They will they will make the most of this as as they should, you know. And she will become a massive star. She'll be doing morning show circuit in the morning. I dare say here in in New York, and it'll be fantastic. She'll be she'll be bringing the sport to new eyeballs, which which is big in itself uh, for the future. In terms of what she might go on to do, I still think she has issues with her game that can be improved but I just don't think her her intensity and her desire is going to dip for a moment I think she loves this sport she loves winning and she loves competing and I think she'll carry on trying to do that but I do feel like this, it'll be interesting to see what she does with the off season you know do they still do they try to take a period of time and actually try and tweak fix do they need to? I don't know, but I, I think she will win more. Will she play Billie Jean King Cup and WTA finals? We we are aware, by the way, that that is something that we're yet to discuss. The announcement that the WTA finals this, this year will be going to Cancun. And mark my words, we will discuss it um, when, we, when we've got time to, to give, it, give it the time that it deserves. Mm. Just, just thinking about golf and that line about how she felt like she maybe needed to achieve stuff when she was young because that was sort of the pressure that was put on her and you know how 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 easily you can be defined by the early stages of your career like I wonder now whether whether there's a bit of a pressure release now like she's she's done it young you know she has she'd already had incredible success as a teenager but she's sort of done now what everyone was was expecting or hoping or willing of her and you know now she's sort of able to go on to like the next stage of her career in a way and she's still young and yet she's got experience which is a combination that I think is very powerful I have to think she wins more majors like I think that's the thing I see so many ways she can still get better as a as a tennis player like exactly as you said this as young as she is this feels ahead of the curve in terms of her actual game because of things she can still fix and still get better and yet she's learned to use what she has to this incredible effect if if she if she gets better and continues to maximize she's she's going to be so so good um, she can, you know, she's already reached the final, the Grand Slam final on clay, so she's got, you know, multiple surfaces covered as well, which is a big element that I look for. Just, you know, just so you don't sort of lose momentum through the season. I always think that's important. Um, yeah, it's it's exciting because, like, I don't think the big three is. They've been extremely consistent this year, and I think we there was a time, the three, guys, like, there was a time we? where it felt a bit like the big three, but I don't think that's really a thing. And it was a moment in time. Oh, right. wow! We've we've it might come back. We've put the kibosh on the big well, three. Well, they haven't won the last two majors, <laughs> so it's kind of tough to say that they're the big three. If you know Von Drosher and Goff hold half of the slams, but you know, so therefore, I think there's an opportunity. Is what I'm saying. Like, mm. it doesn't feel like anyone's 
there's players who've got a big hold of this sport. Igor Sviontek, Rina Sabalenka is now the world number one. But there's room in there as well for Coco Goff to be so consistent and, and win major titles. And, and, and I think she'll do more of it. Can I tell you something else that it means? Oh, yes, please. It means that if you'd like to see Coco Goff attempt to do the hardcore Grand Slam double, AO Travel can sort you out. Yes, they can. (laughs) The Tennis Podcast throughout the US Open, if you don't already know, is brought to you in partnership with AO Travel. And as I've said, they operate the travel programme for the Australian Open. They take care of everything for you. Flights, accommodation, tickets, behind-the-scenes stuff, the AO Travel Lounge, which is new for 2024. It's it's the best seat in the house. It's air-conditioned. It's the place to be. Uh, there's even walk-on experience onto, uh, experiences onto actual Rod Laver Arena. Actual Rod Laver Arena. Imagine that. Um, down that Walk of Champions, which yeah. is, I love that Walk of Champions, and I love Touch when your people favorite champion. Tap, their, tap themselves <laughs> as they're walking on. One of my moments of last year was, or this year rather, was Seb, Seb Corder tapping his dad's picture. Oh, yeah, that was a good Loved one. that moment. And we have a 500 Australian dollar discount code available for AO Travel Lounge packages for all friends of the tennis podcast. So that is one of many reasons right now to become a friend of the tennis podcast, alleviating your post-US Open blues and getting access to that incredible discount code. And as you've been hearing about for the last 10 days or so, to celebrate the launch of the AO Travel Lounge, one lucky tennis podcast listener is going to win big. They're going to win an AO Travel premium lounge package for themselves and a friend to visit the Australian Open in style this coming January. You'll get two return economy flights to Melbourne, tickets to the Rod Laver Arena over the middle weekend of the Open for two people and three nights accommodation at the five-star Pullman on the Park Hotel in Melbourne. Plus, of course, two-day access to the incredible AO Travel Lounge. You can enter the prize draw today by clicking on the link provided in your show notes. You have until Monday the 18th of September at 11.59pm New York time to enter. Terms and conditions apply very best of luck and just while we're on the subject of uh, incentives to become a friend of the tennis podcast you can of course get yourself an intro or a shout out you can introduce the show just like ryan did today or you can just become a friend just to get access to more than 50 bonus podcasts boppos boppos yeah boppos yeah (laughs) hannah's told me on twitter let's make that happen um and the list the list keeps going guys you can take part in a live youtube q and a with us on monday at 1 p.m. new york time that's 6 p.m. uk time and 10 a.m. west coast time in the states and some sort of time in australia who who can say can't do that math right now um so that is available exclusively for friends just go to tennis.supportingcast Dot .fm to sign up tennis.supportingcast c-a-s-t dot .fm to sign up and become a friend and the link of course is also in our show notes last bit of business for you here before we do a preview of tomorrow's men's final we also have a live show tomorrow that is Sunday probably today by the time you're listening to this or like weeks ago if you're catching up <laughs> Uh, The live show is at 2pm New York time on Sunday, 7pm UK time, 11am West Coast time. Nailed it. And it is on YouTube. The link to watch is in our show notes. It's available to everyone. We'll be answering your questions, looking back on this women's final, looking back on the tournament, and of course looking ahead to the men's singles final, which at that point will be two hours away. Hannah's going to be in the chat. My mum might make a guest appearance again, just like she did last time. And it's going to be great, Wi-Fi permitting. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that disclaimer. (laughs) I might need Um, it. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me and Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. We'll save some material for that preview show, of course, but thoughts right now on the men's final. Yeah, I'm actually, it's interesting because of the shock really of last night dashing the hopes of the the Djokovic Alcaraz match I I didn't fully consider what this final might be like and and there's a lot to it to like about it both in terms of the narrative of two years ago Medvedev spoiling the party he loved that role and he was absolutely amazing last night was his best performance since then I think and uh, yet you've got Djokovic who is stretching his lead now, looking to stretch his lead uh, over the others. And uh, to, to also, I think, to, to quote a little bit of Ange Jabeur, to get a bit of revenge here. You know, he, he, I think he'd quite like to, to take out Medvedev and, and put, that, put that to bed from two years ago. But I just think they're both playing really well. Obviously they are because they're in, in the final, but I just, they didn't squeak through. You know, these, those were two exceptionally good performances Medvedev suddenly has found his very best stuff I hope he brings it in the final that's all I hope if Djokovic is too good for him well that can certainly happen but I I would be sad if Medvedev put in one of those performances like he did at the Australian Open when they met that time or you know just occasionally he he doesn't turn up against Djokovic in quite the way you want him to because I think that their matches can be fantastic Mm. yeah Medvedev's got this phrase that he's using that he needs to play better than himself he said that again going into the match against Alcaraz and he said it that that's what he needs to do against Djokovic as well the interesting thing about that I think is that against Alcaraz that meant playing a bit differently making adjustments because of things that had gone on before in that matchup he needed to he needed to change things because he I know he'd beaten Alcaraz once before but it wasn't wasn't the famous Carlos Alcaraz that he beat <laughs> Um, and we saw that with the way he went after his serve and the way he hit his forehand. You know, I think that really caught Alcaraz out. So, you know, he needed to change to beat Alcaraz. He knows he can beat Djokovic, I think, playing his own game. He just needs to do it exceptionally well. That, that to me, feels like the difference between his matchup against Alcaraz and his matchup against Djokovic. And I think he's going to do it exceptionally well. I think Medvedev is really going to play well tomorrow. And I thought he was going to—I he was going to pick him for a second. Then I think I might pick him. I think if he plays like he did against Alcaraz, well, I said that last night, didn't I? This isn't a bold statement. I think if he plays like he did against Alcaraz, he wins. And I feel pretty confident in him showing up. I think it is a bold statement. The blokes won he's 23 lost, Grand Slam he's titles. He's lost a lot of finals here. He has. He's lost three seven. And, three and six, I think three he is, in so US this Open is finals. Tenth, isn't it? Yeah. This is his tenth. He's won three, lost six. I, don't, I absolutely don't see happening what happened two years ago. I think Djokovic shows up. I think it could be a classic, actually. And I do... I do look, it's a completely different match to Djokovic-Alcaraz and... I am still mourning the loss of that a bit but I do love watching someone take on Djokovic at their own game and really his own game sorry and really believing that they can beat him at at the game that has won him 23 Grand Slam titles Mm. I do 
And I, and I love watching Djokovic suddenly stop playing his own game and drop shotting mm. because that's what he's often done and, against him. And I remember in the match immediately after the US Open final, they played in Bercy. Yes. And uh, Djokovic served and volleyed quite a lot mm. against Medvedev, yeah. which, was, which was an interesting tactic. We are going to need to snack up, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lawrence. Long rallies. I've got to commentate on it. Long games. I'm looking forward like, to it. I'm, I'm ready for four hours in that chair. Yeah. They had an okay. amazing set. I will bring set. my lumbar support cushion. <laughs> they had an amazing set last or earlier this year or last year last year I think didn't they Where and then suddenly Medvedev retired Medvedev retired yeah mm. and, and Djokovic looked in shock it had been such an amazing set and then suddenly it was over and he looked like he was kind of disappointed about that um, because I think he was in the zone but I just think I, I agree with you Catherine I think we're, we're in for a classic I think we're in for another Nadal-Medvedev type match from here Wow, okay. From four years ago. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. I, sign me up. Mm. We sat here after that, yeah. Catherine. And Was we it were, as we were, humid? <laughs> <laughs> no, we were giddy, I remember that night. We, we, it was the first time I'd ever had a honey juice. So obviously I was completely I, you know, out of I it. remember the honey juice and yeah. not much else. <laughs> that was the night after I sprinted up to Bianca Andreescu's parents and asked for a photo with their dog. That's correct, it? yeah. 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 We've got the evidence. Great it's content. the only celebrity I've ever asked for a photo <laughs> with Bianca Andreescu's dog. <laughs> um, before we leave you for a penultimate time, a few other results to whiz you through from today, starting with a maiden mixed doubles major title for Anna Danilina of Kazakhstan and Harry Heliovara of Finland, 6-3-6-4, over the home favourites, Jessica Pagula, who'll be the new... In fact, both Pagula and Krychek, her partner, Austin Krychek, they will be their respective doubles number ones come Monday but they lost out today three and four to Danilina and Heliovara who met and agreed to partner together literally at the mixed doubles sign-in desk on deadline that was when they come, <laughs> came up with the idea to to partner up wow imagine that you just get out and call I've clicked you're, you're the one for me they do say with doubles <laughs> that you, you know pretty much instantly I mean, amazing, and they kind of cruised through the yeah. Tour. Like they that they they had a match tie break in their first round, but then after that they didn't didn't drop a set. Absolute shock in the wheelchair women's doubles final. Dida de Hoot not winning. Wow, I still get to say her name though. The women's wheelchair doubles final was one well not one it, it was a walkover for Yui Kamiji and Keiji Montagne the second seeds over Dida Rehut and Yiska Griffin that is a second Grand Slam fi- uh, title for Kamiji and Montagne uh, they won the French Open as well didn't it and uh, didn't they and reached the Wimbledon final um, so incredible incredible year for them uh, we also had a win in the men's wheelchair doubles final for Stefan Uday, 52-year-old Stefan Uday, and Takashi Sanada, his Japanese partner. They got the better of Tom Egberink and Ruben Spargaren. Good work. Look, David, you're not in a position to say whether that was good work. <laughs> <laughs> True. We'll, we'll wait until we get atted by the Dutch. Uh, they won 10-7 in the deciding set tie break uh, what else have we had today we've had the junior finals haven't we and uh, one American victory one American defeat we had victory for Zhao Fonseca over Lerna Tien in the boys final 6-3 in the third for the Brazilian Fonseca and in the girls final we have a, a Catherine oh good a victorious Catherine America, 18 year old American Catherine Hui beat the you'll be surprised to hear this the young Czech okay <laughs> Catherine uh, same, same yeah, church yeah the church pew Dif- I think it's uh, same church different pew it's yeah. K okay. but we, we support her work um, she beat Teresa Valentova the 16 year old Czech 
player in the girls' final 6-4-6-4. Yes, uh, the Czech, Czech radio guy who sits next to us in, in the press room, who I think is the busiest man in tennis with all the Czechs. <laughs> I was like, maybe I'll be in before him today. Nope. <laughs> he had a young Czech to watch, <laughs> and he was. <laughs> There's always a young Czech always. to watch. Absolute conveyor belt of champions. Uh, so we have the wheelchair singles finals to come tomorrow, the quad wheelchair finals as well. And we'll be previewing our final day of US Open action, 2 p.m. local time tomorrow. We hope you can join us on YouTube. The link to watch is in our show notes. It'll be in the newsletter as well. Do subscribe to the newsletter. Today's stat was a banger. Yeah, I used it on the radio. Also subscribe to the newsletter because things are going very well for me. (laughs) (laughs) I might never top the leaderboard again. I might not top the leaderboard at the end of this tournament. But right now, in tomorrow's newsletter... You will see my name at the top of that leaderboard. You have been really calm So subscribe for posterity. <laughs> um, you, should also, you should also become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. All sorts of boco coming at you next week, including that live Q&A for friends. We've also got a Grand Slam re- review show. Requests have gone out for voice notes. So that's all in the pipeline. Lots more still to come for friends of the Tennis Podcast from New York, but for today, on a really historic day in Flushing Meadows, that is it. Except to remind you about Willow, our lovely US Open mascot, our mascots, Xenia. <laughs> look, look at your face. It's going good, Xenia. <laughs> I wonder if Xenia's smiling. We as much have as you. to enjoy it while it's happening because okay. it won't last. No, it won't. Um, Maisie, we didn't do so good today. We, we got the right winner, but we got the wrong number of sets. If only we'd put our heads together, David. Got the right number of sets and the wrong winner. I think I got closer than you. Yeah. <laughs> Tough scene for Darwin and Maisie. I'm not going to anyway. argue that I was closer because I had the wrong winner. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. And that brings me on, actually, to possibly my favourite moment of the whole day, which was Coco Goff as she was being handed a $3 million cheque by the J.P. Morgan person, someone from a bank. Yeah. Anyway, and Billie Jean was there about to hand her the US Open trophy. She she leaned over into the mic and said, thank you, Billie Jean, for fighting for this. And I punched the air. It was an absolutely incredible moment. And good on Coco Goff for proactively doing that and not having to be dollied up the question of what a Billie Jean King and the original nine mean to you and what they've done for tennis and yeah just she she gets it in a way that so many others don't and that is very very special so thank you to Billie Jean and Ilana Kloss we have of course our top folks and executive producers on three one two three Jamie, Jamie Hannah and, and Drew, Drew. And we have shout-outs, Matt. We start with Damon Levy. Right, Damon. Oh, Any relation? Dave Levy. Same, different spelling. Different spelling. Same oh. church, different pew. I don't know any Damon tennis players, I'm afraid. Only a, only a racing driver. Hill? Damon Hill, yeah. Damon says uh, that his sister, Nicole, worked in comms for the ATP a little bit around the mid-noughties. So may have crossed paths. Yes, I remember. I do what is remember. Damon's surname? Levy. Le- right. <laughs> <laughs> so Nicole Levy? Yeah. Yes. Hi Damon. Hi Nicole. <laughs> Splendid. Thank you, Damon. Yeah. We've also got Nadika Desayrum. Oh. Hi Nadika. Who is from Fargo, North Dakota. And she says, thanks to David for making me addicted to radio tennis commentary. Whoa. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Hang on. How many Fargos are there in the United States of America? Because there's Fargo the film, right? And the TV series. But I'm thinking, the, which is set in Minnesota, like very famously set in Minnesota. Is it? 
blank okay. faces well, all around. Well, it's a big country, let us, so let us probably know. lots. <laughs> <laughs> let us know, Nadika, and thank you very much. Yeah, and particularly thank you for uh, getting into tennis commentary on the radio because of me. I can't mm. believe it. Shuffed. And finally, we have Lucy Perkins, who is being gifted a shout-out, I think, as a Aww. surprise by her husband. Oh, fantastic. Oh, surprise. <laughs> hey. Surprise, Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Uh, tennis Lucy's. Lucy Lucy's Henman, Lucy, uh, yes. wife of Tim. Lucy Suka. Shuka. Shuka, sorry, who is the British wheelchair yes. player. Yes. Very good. Perkin. Well, John, there's a Johnny Perkins. In fact, this is good, Lucy. Johnny Perkins is a <laughs> Wimbledon employee. Communications? He, he was formerly PR. the communications director. And now he is the voice of his, Wimbledon. His role is under threat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt's, Matt's, we hope you've enjoyed your day at Wimbledon. The OG of that, the official voice, is that of johnny perkins yeah but watch your back johnny <laughs> <laughs> matt's coming for you thank you lucy yeah, we hope thanks, you've enjoyed lucy. your surprise thanks to all our friends of the tennis podcast and if you're a friend do join us for that q a show at 1 p.m new york time east coast time on monday that one is just for friends it's a q a show we hope you can join us then our preview show looking back on the tournament and looking head to the men's final that live show on youtube is available to everyone and that one is at 2 p.m tomorrow sunday probably today as you're listening to this so please do join us for that join hannah in the chat join us and most importantly join us tomorrow for one last daily podcast from the 2023 us open